Welcome to Abolition Liberation Solidarity, a Here for the Kids production. We are an abolition movement dedicated to fighting the systems of oppression that stem from white supremacy, including gun violence, climate catastrophe, houselessness, and oppression of all kinds. I'm Syra Rao, your host and co-founder of Here for the Kids. When we consider how our individual actions impact climate change, the consumption of our clothing rarely comes to mind, but it absolutely should. By UN estimates, the clothing industry contributes between 8 and 10% of global emissions. And with the rise of fast fashion, the industry is poised to only grow bigger and more wasteful. On top of this, most of the clothes we wear in America and the global north are being produced by exploited labor in the global south. And the fibers our clothes are made from no longer come from natural, renewable sources like cotton or wool, but increasingly are coming from oil in the form of polyester, acrylic, and nylon. Today's guest will help us connect the clothes in our closet to colonialism and the climate crisis, while offering us solutions. Aja Barber is an author and stylist based in the UK. Her book is Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. Today's interview is being conducted by Joe Lorenz, Communications Director of Here for the Kids and co-founder of The Progressivist. Aja Baba, welcome to Abolition, Liberation, Solidarity. Today, I really wanted to talk to you about connecting the threads between consumerism, consumption, and how that can lead to oppression, you know, cause and effect, and whether that oppression in reality ultimately means that certain practices need to be abolished. So if we're looking at focusing on individual actions to fight climate change, things like driving less or um, getting a hybrid or electric car or flying less, these are top of mind for people, but we're not necessarily thinking about what we're wearing and how that affects. So can you kind of talk to us about your work and how the link between the fashion industry and climate change and consumerism? Yes, of course. So I think the most important thing you need to know is currently the fashion industry is a linear system. Linear means a line. We need a circular system, which means circle. Uh, what a linear system looks like is a system where we consume and dump. And at the start and finish of this very linear system is non-white people who live in the global south who happen to be experiencing the climate crisis in much more intense ways than we are. And so this is such an intersectional issue in so many different ways. When we talk about the fact that the majority of people who make our clothing are exploited, one of the points that I always remind people is that I know we think that everything costs so much, but the cost of clothing is actually artificially depressed. And that is because of all the exploitation that is built into the system. The cost of clothing has gone down while the cost of other things have gone up. Uh, housing, which I think is a human right, probably shouldn't be up as much as it is. Cars, education, healthcare, all of that has gone up. Meanwhile, the cost of clothing has gone down. We pay less for our clothing than we did 30 years ago. We pay less for our clothing than our grandparents did, and they weren't buying as much as we did either. So it's really important to start from a really honest place with this conversation and realize that most clothing being sold is being sold too low and it's able to be sold at low prices because people at all intersections of the supply chain are being exploited to make those garments. So 
from the beginning of the system, you have the raw materials, which are being taken usually from the global south. However, 60% of our fibers are derived from fossil fuels, polyester, acrylic, nylon, spandex, all of that stuff. Guess what, guys? It's gas, it's plastic, it's oil. And so that's already an issue that would probably need its own podcast. But if we're talking about even natural materials, right, we're talking about cotton. A lot of the cotton that, you know, you are going to buy, somebody has been exploited to create and pick that cotton, to grow that cotton. Cotton farmers notoriously have extremely high suicide rates. It's a pretty bad system where people are not being paid or treated fairly. A few years ago, there was a massive uprising in South Asia from farmers, basically, because for a long time, things have just been steadily degrading. So you have a lot of issues within that supply chain of just people being paid fairly. You also have exploitation. If we talk about, like, for instance, the Uyghur Muslims, you know, that's tied to the cotton supply chain. That's something that very few people even really know about, to be honest. So you've already got non-white people who are harvesting a product that we are all consuming in our life. I'm sure I'm wearing some amount of cotton right now as we speak. The person who is then turning that fiber into an item of clothing that we will buy is largely underpaid. And 80% of the people doing that are women. Yeah. So we already live on a planet where women are not treated fairly for our work and our labor. We aren't paid fairly. Yeah. If an entire industry runs off of that level of exploitation, it just exasperates all the other problems that women face, mm. getting paid less, you know, uh, patriarchy, taking care of families, you know. And so you've already got a group of people that are already oppressed and you're just pushing them even deeper into a super oppressive system. Right. And it's usually black and brown women. It's Sorry to usually, interrupt. No, nope, it's and usually brown. black and brown women. You have white women wearing a I am a feminist t-shirt that was made in modern slavery by a black and brown woman. Exactly, exactly. So you've got people being exploited to, you know, harvest raw materials and you've got people being exploited to produce the clothing. The clothing is then shipped to a wealthier country, often in the global north, where it is purchased by, you know, someone who has a certain amount of privilege in comparison to the people who are you know, doing the real backbreaking labor. Yep. Now, the fashion cycle has sped up drastically in the time that I've been on this planet. We're all buying, I believe, five times more items than we bought in 1990, which means that we're not having enough space for a lot of things. We're buying things we don't need. We're buying things because we're facing peer pressure through social media or whatever. Well, and so we're, we're cycling through clothing a lot quicker than ever. And because all of this clothing is also produced so rapidly with very little care to the people making the clothing. Sometimes it's not meant to hold up for a very long amount of time. Some of these clothing items no, that it, we are purchasing have planned obsolescence in their core. And so right, we're, we're, right, we're going right. through this clothing really quickly. And then we're, we're donating it to a charity because that makes us feel better about the fact that we are buying things right. that we largely don't really need. And also looking the other way on systems that we know are exploiting other people to often buy things that we don't need. So then the clothing that arrives in the charity shop, they're receiving an onslaught of donations. 90% of what charity shops receive will not be sold in that charity shop. So then the charity shops have a system where 
the clothing is then downgraded. So it gets sent to another charity shop and another charity shop in another country. And eventually that clothing item that nobody wants is going to end up right back in the global south where it becomes an ecological disaster for the people that live in whatever country it lands in. And so start to finish, you have non-white people of color, often women, who are being harmed by a system where we are buying things and being told by big brands that like, this is empowerment. (laughs) Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, it starts in the global south, produced at an exploitative rate from an exploitative system, comes round to the global north, bought by a bunch of me's, mm-hmm. worn for a day. Oh, look at me looking pretty ordinary <laughs> in my new outfit. And then sent back yeah. where it's then on fire in Accra. Yeah. Or, you know. And, and Rwanda and Ghana and Kenya and Uganda. That This system... The the most, I think, publicized is probably Cantamonto Market in Accra, Ghana. But make no mistake, there are Cantamonto Markets more or less all over the place because the system of donation that we're participating in and telling ourselves, I did a good deed, isn't actually looking so good for other people. Yes, right. And that, that leads me to a thought. And when you were talking about cotton earlier too, there are certain amounts of practices within our consumption that we think we're doing the right thing. Yeah. Oh, I've donated. That's good. Oh, I bought cotton mm-hmm. because I know that the other ones might have um, something bad in them. Mm-hmm. But actually, we've just been, we've been gaslighting ourselves or we've been greenwashed. So what are some of those things? What are some of the areas that we think we're doing the right thing with our consumption where we're actually causing more harm or as much harm? You know, I would just say if you aren't considering your consumerism, you're probably harming people overall. If you're not thinking about, okay, do I need this item? Do I need it? And be honest with yourself. Like right. following trends is is not a need. It really isn't. I think, yes, we do need a certain amount of clothing clothing protects us from like harmful elements, that sort of thing, rain, that, you know, warmth. But like need first want is something that we are really not good at parsing through in our society. And it's time to be honest about that. So I would say if you aren't really investigating your consumerism when you are buying new things, then you, you are harming other people. And, you know, there's sometimes you just don't have a choice, right? Sometimes If you're in a position where maybe you are plus size and there is not a plus size maker who makes a pair of work pants that you need to go to your job, you might end up having to buy work trousers from a group that you have a feeling is probably exploitative, right? That's not having a choice. But like for much of us who are shopping like no tomorrow when we have good clothing in our wardrobe that we can wear... We're making a choice there. Right. And we have to start being honest with ourselves about that. Right. And I think there's a lot of conversation about like ethical consumption where people think that you can ethically consume at the same rate that we have been consuming for the last 20 years. And unfortunately, I hate to rain on everyone's parade, but just no way, no how. The planet cannot sustain this system. And we are about to find out in the future that we have fucked around and now we're going to find out. Absolutely. People tend to overlook this whole clusterfuck because it is fashion too. 
we see it as frivolous. It's it's a frivolous little purchase. And that also ties into patriarchy, right? Yes. Because we think that fashion is, you know, frivolous, it's silly, it's women's things. I don't think we look at the actual impact of the system. Right. We don't look at the fact that like most of the major corporations that are responsible for this mess are actually run by men and owned by men. Oh, jokes on us women. Yeah. We don't look at the fact that the industry accounts for a percentage of the jobs on this planet. Yep. We don't look at the impact in the same way because we see it as frivolous, where I think that if it weren't something that were associated with women, the industry and its harm would be taken much more seriously. Absolutely. It's easy to overlook it because it, our society devalues things that women like and queer people and gay people and whatnot. But in actuality, I think that's exactly how the fashion industry has slid under the radar. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also funny that people think fashion is, I mean, I understand all the points that you just said. I also think it's funny that people think fashion is for women when everyone participates. When everyone wears clothing. Everyone wears clothing. Yeah. And everyone has a uniform. Mm -hmm. So the guy that's like the hunty guy, you know, and he's got his beard and the whole thing, he's like, I, I don't care about fashion. Yeah. Why are you always wearing that then? Exactly. Like, why is that always your look? If you don't care, put on this pink T-shirt that has a smurf on it. This is true, right? Like, there is... You know, there's this idea that almost like you're superficial if you care about fashion. That's another thing right. that like I really hate is this idea that like caring about fashion makes you superficial. So therefore, I don't care. And I'm above this system. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, unless you're naked, you're not above this system. And also you think that you are so cool because you don't care. You're above. It. I mean, I hate to do that whole devil wears Prada speech, yes, but like I, I that was probably yeah. the only moment of truth in that entire fictional film. Yes. The reality is none of us are above it. Whatever you're wearing, there is somebody who has picked out that item for you and you think that you're like free of it, but none of us are free of it. So it's just time for all of us to actually pay attention and take it seriously. Agreed. Apparently the average American throws away 81 pounds of clothes a year. Horrendous. I mean, horrendous. How does that even happen? Um, what is your advice, I suppose, for a sustainable wardrobe? And I hate to use a, you know, an, an old phrase like that, but so often I think people go, oh, sustainable fashion. Okay, I need to do this. So they get their 81 pounds of clothing and they throw it no, out. No, no. Exactly. <laughs> but what do we do? What, what should people be doing? Yeah. So first of all, I don't even use the phrase sustainability because that has been co-opted by brands like H&M that are anything but sustainable. Let's leave with yes. that. They are not sustainable. Their business model is not sustainable. A business model of fast fashion and rapid turnover can never be sustainable, even if it's made yeah. out of all organic cotton, if you are producing that amount of clothing and pushing consumers to consume that much, there is no sustainability to be found within those walls. So let's just leave there. I don't really use the phrase sustainability anymore because I feel like it's just been co-opted by the big corporations who have wholeheartedly made the mess. I tend to talk about slow fashion and slow fashion is what it says it is. It's slowing down. It's looking at your closet in the summertime and thinking, wow, I have loads of nice dresses, which means that I don't actually need a new dress this summer. And if I buy one, 
because I know I don't need one. It needs to be from an ethical business. Now, what is an ethical business? It is a business in my mind that pays everyone. And that's, to me, fair wages always sort of gets like downgraded in the system while every brand is bragging about their materials and their technology. No, 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 my friends. Look for brands that don't exploit people in the supply chain because fair wages is actually the key to solving a lot of the problems, including the environmental ones. The reason why these major corporations can afford to overproduce is because they are exploiting people with wages. Right. Like if a lot of these brands had to pay people fairly for the labor that they are doing, you would not see half as much clothing be produced. And that's ultimately what we need. We do not need more. The fashion industry produces 100 billion garments a year. That is almost 14 times the human population. Okay, like let's break that down. 50% of our planet lives on less than $5.50 a day. That 50% has never been inside of Azara. So they're not doing that. So if we just chop our population That means that even less of the population is consuming in the ways that are causing all of this to become an ecological crisis. So like, no matter where you are in this, the calls are still coming from the inside of the house. And we have to start looking at these systems differently. People ask me how I shop today. I would say my wardrobe and consumption is probably 60 to 70% secondhand and 30% ethical brand. If it comes into my wardrobe and it is being purchased new, it has to come from someone who is a fair wage employer. Absolutely. Otherwise, I can get it secondhand because there's plenty of it. So I think when you start to change how you interact with the system, it actually all becomes a lot less complex than you think it is. I think people get really overwhelmed with all of these problems. But if you start just changing how you interact with it, it's actually not complex at all. You don't need to buy a new item of clothing every week from that company that you kind of know deep down inside is exploiting people. You don't need that at all. Maybe you're going to start buying your denim secondhand because you have a jean that you really like and you like how it fits. And it's from like a big corporation that probably makes a million pairs a week. So... That means that you actually don't need to buy that item new. I haven't bought new jeans in probably about six, seven years because I just go on eBay. I type in what I want. I type in my size and I am plus size for the record. And guess what? A hundred options show up. Many of them are new with tags because that's how we purchase clothing now. So you don't need to buy everything in your wardrobe new. And I think we're still getting past that hurdle where people are just very afraid to dip their toe into the idea of purchasing something secondhand, but we all need to move in that direction. Yeah. And then the last thing is you really have to look for the wages. If you are going to buy something new, start interrogating the companies that you're buying from, especially if it's a big box store. They need to hear from you. I tend to avoid those stores now. I just, I don't buy as much. So when I do buy something, I know a lot about the conditions in which it's been produced. And when you slow down, you actually find that you have time to dig around and figure those things out. Absolutely. With a lot of like small businesses, for instance, if you send an email and a business is doing right, they're actually really excited to hear from you and to tell you about that. They're excited that you want to know that like 
they're a fair wage employer in the UK and all of their employees are making pretty decent wages. Like good businesses want to tell you about that stuff. If it's too murky, if the language is too loosey-goosey and esoteric, like take that as your cue to run. Right, right. I think it's a lot like um, cooking or how people that like to cook seasonally, like you were saying before, I don't need a new dress for this summer. Okay. So what have we got? We've got the produce. We have a whole bunch of good tomatoes. So what are we going to make with that? Yeah. Rather than go and order quinoa from somewhere else, yeah. instead, let's just cook with the tomatoes. And I, I think if people were thinking about it like that, then they would look at their wardrobe and have a different relationship with the way that they interact with shopping. Absolutely. But too many of us are, you know, there's a lot of messaging that tells us that like consuming the way we've been consuming is actually a great way to be like an upstanding member of society. Like you have to think about like post 9-11, George W. Bush literally told people like, get out there and shop to help the economy. Rishi Sunak did the exact same thing after the UK came out of lockdown. He basically was quoted saying like, if you save money during this time, you have a responsibility to put it back into the economy. Richie Sunak's wife is a billionaire. Like, why don't you put your money into the economy, Rishi? Yeah. I'm going to save my savings for myself because I'm not a billionaire and I never will be because that's unethical. Because that's gross. <laughs> um, with the used um, stuff to pre-loved, used, whatever everyone wants to call it, the way that I see it, there was a bit of a stigma with that, let's say 15 years ago. In terms of people thinking, oh, no, 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 I need I need something new. I need something that's just for me. I need something high end. What are some of the ways, how has that changed? And has it changed because of these big pre-loved companies, the Vestia Collectives and so forth? How do you think that experience has changed for consumers? Yeah, I think that it's just becoming cooler now. That's what I think. Um, I've always I've always shopped that way but I've kept it so much of a secret because my peers were brutal about it growing up. I remember like learning, you know, and this, this is how I kind of began to understand how much overproduction there was. Like we're about the same age. Do you remember the time period when like, it was like the early 2000s, whatever was into like denim, but like there would be like a new denim brand every single month. Yeah. Like it started out, seven jeans. I never had a pair of those because I always thought they made everyone look like a box on sticks. I did not think that they were, that they just made you look boxy and boxy with really long legs. Uh, there were yeah, Citizens yeah, yeah. for Humanity, which became yes. really cheesy after a while. Um, paper cloth denim. I loved paper cloth denim. Rag and bone? Rag and bone. Uh, I think there was a brand called Rock and Republic. So it was basically like a time period where like Citizens of Humanity, which they're still around and they're doing cool stuff. And they're a brand that, you know, is really caring about their supply chain. Um, I had a, a lunch with them and I, I was really happy with the things that I heard about what they're doing. That's great. Like, for instance, some of the people that grow cotton for their genes, if a farmer is interested in trying to turn his farm into more of a regenerative farm, Citizens of Humanity will help them in covering any loss that they suffer while they're going through this process. That's awesome. Pretty cool. These are yep. the things that you need to look for in the companies cool. that you support. So during that time period in the early 2000s, when everyone was like, 
this jean is the one that everyone wanted. I wanted those jeans. I want it to be cool. I, you know, grew up lower middle class in a very affluent area. So I always realized that fitting in through material items was just like a really, you know, it, it was a way that you could like feel cool. You know, I had my finger on the buzzer of that stuff, but I couldn't afford it. I couldn't pay $200 no. for a pair of jeans, which $200 in year 2000 yeah. money is actually quite a lot of money today. Yeah. So we like that's 20 something. Yeah. I, I think we should run that through an inflation calculator because yes. I would really like to know. I would really like to know how much $200 is today versus mm. 2002. So I was really, you know, wanting to you know, have these cool jeans. And one day I was just on eBay and I remembered I had gotten a pair of BCBG loafers off eBay. Another thing I wanted that I couldn't afford. Wait. They were like $300 and a woman in San Francisco sold me a pair for 68 When I was so excited about those loafers, I wore them for a very long amount of time until I like donated them. Um, no, I actually sold them. I sold them again. I sold them on eBay. That's nice. what I did. So I've always Wait. been shopping on eBay. So I like, you know, looked at shoes. I looked at a few things and I just typed in like the jeans, the jeans of oh. the week. And I was shocked by how many pairs were on eBay. And yeah. I began to realize, oh, I really don't have to buy this stuff new. Just as long as I know like what style I'm looking for, what size I am, I could actually just go on eBay and literally just like get a pair for like a third of the price. So this is always how I've shopped. It's very well, like interesting to see how many people on social media are claiming this is always how they've shopped, especially because a lot I'm of a them, thrifter. Yeah, especially because <laughs> especially because a lot of them have been like selling fast fashion for like the last five yes, years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's great that you're thrifting now, but let's just call a spade a spade. Can we be honest about how you've been making your money for the last 10 years? So now yeah. everybody's apparently into it. Yeah. But in general, I think it's just gotten more socially acceptable. I think in some places there right. still is a stigma. I think, you know, if you grew up with thrift being your only option for clothing, you're probably not too eager to get back to it. There's still that stigma Lord. there. Lord. Meanwhile, people who have had nothing to do with the conversation are like, why can't everyone just join it? It's like, well, you don't really understand the barriers and the red tape. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do we get everyone into this conversation? Yeah. How do we bring people to the table without... Try again without you know shaming them into coming to it on your terms. Yeah, how exactly. do we bring them on their own terms? Yeah, exactly, exactly. My next door neighbors are um, they're having a little baby, and they made me so happy because they told me like everything they pretty much have gotten has been secondhand. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I, I remember when yeah I first had Harry. I was like, God, so much stuff, so, so much, much stuff. stuff. And they don't wear anything for months. <laughs> I know. They're just, and they wear it once and then they're too big for it. That's it. And you're like, oh, I have to take it out. So you try and dress it and it wears it once and then eat. <laughs> and it's always missing a sock. Babies are always missing one sock. Always. But I think that's at all ages. Because <laughs> we have, where do these missing socks go? We have so many missing socks in this house. I just feel like it's always babies. I feel like because they have like the little like roly poly legs, the socks just roll right off and then they get dropped to the ground. I find baby socks all the time in London, like just <laughs> randomly so on the street. I think I'd like to kind of tie it back into abolition. Mm -hmm. 
So thinking about the systems at large of consumption, specifically with fashion, but all consumption, what areas do we need to really be reevaluating? Like, are there things that we need to be abolishing, working towards abolition of having any kind of fossil fuels within our clothes or abolition of something within the supply chain? What, what is it? I would say the biggest problems is one, we need to get the fossil fuels out of the supply chain and they have flooded the market and they have undercut natural fibers so that that is the immediate go-to for a lot of brands. And we're going to have to close the tap on that because we, I think when we talk about fossil fuels, people just think of like, you know, cars and like, uh, you know, the stuff that runs our home. They don't think about clothing, but like that's a way in which the fossil fuel industry has found another way to make us dependent on a product that we don't really want to, you know, prop up for the rest of our lives. So we're really going to need to like start talking about it in clothing systems and close the tap on that. Uh, Currently, 60% of fibers being produced are made with fossil fuels. So that's a very bad thing. And then I would say fair wages. We need to have fair wages within the supply chain. And The fair wage fight isn't just for people making clothing. It's for all of us. Wages have stagnated worldwide. If there's a reason that you feel poor, even though, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're not less impoverished than the person making your clothing. Let's be realistic. But like, I get it. I get feeling like you can't make a living wage and thrive in a society that tells you that's what you're supposed to be doing. If we focus on raising wages for everyone supporting unions, we can lift each other, right? No one should feel like they are forced to pick between a pair of trousers that are made in a sweatshop or not. You know, that shouldn't be a choice. The problem is too many of us actually have other choices and we keep picking the sweatshop stuff. We, Those of us that genuinely have a choice need to like cut the crap and come clean. But people that don't have a choice should not be pushed into a corner with this. But The way we get to a place where everyone can avoid the sweatshop goods is by raising wages for everyone, for the garment worker, for you as well. So we really need to talk about wages and we really need to talk about overproduction and we really need to talk about fossil fuels within this industry. We need also circular systems. We can't keep dumping 15 million items in Ghana every single week. That is just not the solution. And it's not fair to do that to anyone. Like the municipal dump in Ghana filled up 10 years ahead of schedule because of the clothing waste problem created by the system. How mad would Americans be if another country was like, we're going to donate all this stuff to America. Aren't we so good? Yeah. All those poor Americans, they'll be so happy for our falling apart tattered rags. Like, like, Americans will be furious. I don't understand how we can do that to people with a straight face. But I think that's what happens when you don't sit down and really, like, think about and investigate these systems. Is you trick yourself into thinking that you have nothing to do with any of this when in actuality... Yes. All of us have something to do with it. We've all bought out of our role within every system. So how do we put that back in? I think one of the best parts about shopping in a conscious manner is because you're creating an equitable planet. Yes. As well as that, it's joyful. It's joyful. I think people think that like, my wardrobe is going to suck if I can't 
buy clothing I don't need from brands that exploit people. And like, I am here to tell you, your wardrobe is going to be like 20 times better. Unbelievable. Like renting clothing. I don't know a single person that now rents like formal wear to go to parties that is going back to the old way. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you can rent a dress that you'll never be able to afford, wear it once, have a great time in it. And then you send it back and you don't have that guilt of it sitting in the closet and you think, oh, great, no one's going to wear this again. You know, the thrill of the hunt when you find an item of clothing that you want it and maybe couldn't afford in the past and then you find it on eBay or Vestiaire, that is unforgettable. It is like fast fashion could never match that feeling of getting something for a tenth of the price that you know the value is extremely high, but for whatever reason, this person is going to sell it to you for extremely low. Fast fashion could never. That dopamine charge that we get from buying fast fashion, it is so artificial. It's like, I don't like artificial sweeteners, and that's how I would describe it. It's like an artificial sweetener. Yeah, and the minute you leave the store, it's gone. Whereas the Or when you get home, you're filled with dread. (laughs) Completely. It's like, what, what is this crap that I have lying <laughs> on my bed that I'm never going to wear? It is. It's so true. And I think it's also the anticipation factor. Shopping or consuming with an anticipation mindset is delightful because yeah. you're thinking about it, you're searching, as you said. Like on Vestiaire, you can put, I want in this bag, in this color, between this price range, and you wait six months and then you get a ding and it says, it's here. Would you like to bid? That is fun. That's Christmas Eve. Whereas shopping fast fashion is Christmas night where you're like, oh, it's all over for another 365 days. And also getting other people into it. Like, honestly, when I met Steve, he was wearing a lot of like high street stuff. And I was like, oh, no, 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 sir. We're not doing that anymore. And now he's like, you know, I think I like another Comme des Garçons sweatshirt for Christmas. Do you think you could find me one of Vestiaire? Why, yes, I can. Why, yes, I can. You know? So, like, I think when you start, you really kind of bring other people along with you and it ends up being really fun. You know? Uh, When Steve buys something secondhand for himself that he really likes, I get a charge out of that, too. You know? Especially when it's a brand that's a little bit more pricey that, like, we probably wouldn't buy right out. It's, It's exciting, you know? And... I do think that my wardrobe is 20 times better because I've gotten to the heart of my personal style. I seek out the things that I really want. I wait. I anticipate. I slow down. And when I get it, it's almost a little bit more sweeter. Like we got away from this idea of like saving for our clothing, right? Like it kind of began, fast fashion began to tell us that like, buy it then and there was a human right and if you can't buy it that's oppression and it's like no that's not true especially when you like don't need to eat clothing right if you have something else that you can wear you are not oppressed if you can't afford it that day so you kind of get back to like the slow and beautiful process of maybe like saving for something or like when you get something made like um i bought a bunch of clothing from the designer Phoebe English in the UK. She's mm-hmm. a really great, like, sustainable designer. And, you know, she did a pre-order and then it will deliver in the springtime. So I have this nice anticipation Lovely. of thinking about, like, 
the jacket that I'm going to wear in the spring with the trousers and how exciting that is. And um, there's something just really beautiful about slowing down and the appreciation that goes behind your clothing when you're purchasing it in a really thoughtful way rather than in a rushed manner because there is an email that a brand sent you like screaming at you. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the quality versus quantity factor again. The quality of the experience too. Like every time I go into a fast fashion store now and I do go in because I always want to see like which one of my friends they're knocking off because usually I'll find something where I'm like, "Mm, I know where this came from. And I do go in and I find the quality of shopping in those stores to be horrendous now. I'm like, why did I enjoy this? This is so overwhelming and just like such a sensation overload of everything I don't actually need. Right. Everything about those organizations is gross. I mean, down to their advertising. Yeah. Recent campaigns that we have Yes. I mean, honestly, I wasn't that surprised with the Zara campaign that they're being dragged for. I think just nobody is thinking how will this look you know it reminds me of when like h&m put a little black kid in a hoodie that said coolest monkey in the jungle i was like if there was a black person in the room they were so used to not being listened to that they just said okay if that's what you want to do sure roy whatever you say yeah yeah exactly Uh, it's either there's no black or brown people in those rooms or there is a black or brown person in that room and they see exactly what's going to happen, but they're so used to like being gaslit and not listened to that they're just like, fine, just do it. Do whatever you want. Right. I've been that person. <laughs> yes, I remember the stories. Um, I think also, it, it's again, it's like if you can walk into a store and the person that is behind the cashier and if they can genuinely help you, about where the article of clothing was made, where the cotton came from. They can't. Not in, not in a lot of big box stores, no. No, exactly. So if you can't get that kind of service, why do you want to shop there when there's yeah. no vested interest? Again, it like be walking into a restaurant and you saying, hi, um, can you tell me if it's chicken breast or chicken thigh? And someone just going, I don't know. Like, <laughs> do you want it or here? not? Someone else will come and eat it. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I'm not going to eat here anymore. It's that same thing. We, we have to look at the menu. We have to peruse it and we have to push the weight stuff a little bit to make the experience personal, to make sure that the experience that we are having is one that is bound by, you know, equity and kind of not <laughs> oppressing a whole bunch of people or chickens. Yeah, exactly. I love going, like, I feel very lucky to live in London because we do have some really awesome department stores and some of the people that work there are just so, like, lovely and I love going in and I love talking to them about different brands that they like and why they like the brands. Like, but that's not an experience that everyone gets, but you will get that experience when you start to support smaller businesses when you buy your clothing. If you send an email you know, even if you're not in a major city, if you send an email, nine out of 10 times, you're going to get a really lovely and interesting response where like, they're happy to communicate with you. And you're going to learn as well. A lot of the stuff that I've learned, you know, since I've had this platform has been just through chatting with brands, you know, yeah. not only does it slow you down, but it gives you so much information. And it gives you a greater sense of investment in the system. And when we 
invest, we're less likely to want to go back to buying the the shirt that we're going to wear once and feel no emotional attachment to whatsoever. Yeah. And if you are looking to, if you understand this, right, if you understand all of this, but the people around you don't, I've written a book yes. <laughs> that you can you give literally them wrote the and, book then you on it. Dis- and then you can discuss it with them and you don't have to listen to all the what ifs because the answers are often in the book. Because I think a lot of us understand these systems really well, but it's getting people around us to understand it that can be quite challenging. And so sometimes you just got to be like, here's a book that I think you should read. You might find it really fascinating. Yeah. And you know what? It's um, holiday time. It's holiday time. You know what? People are like, oh, now that I don't overconsume fashion, I think I do. I buy too many books and I I will never have a problem with that. I do not have (laughs) in a society where I feel like we are getting more and more ignorant by the day. If someone tells me they're buying and reading too many books, I do not see a problem here and I will never see a problem here. Agreed. Agreed. You'll you never get that argument in our house. You will not. You <laughs> Read more books. <laughs> Read more books. Read more books. Um, Aja, I love you. Thank you very much for joining us. I love you too. Thank you for having me. Aja Barber is a UK-based author, stylist, and activist. You can find her on Instagram at Aja Barber. And go read her book, Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. For more information on how you can get involved, please visit our website here, number4thekids.com. There you can learn more about our mission, make a donation to help support our work, buy our merchandise, follow our socials, sign up for our podcast and newsletter, both of which are on Substack. Abolition, Liberation, Solidarity is a Here for the Kids production. Our producer and editor is Keith Rosella. I'm Syra Rao, co-founder of Here for the Kids and your host and executive producer. We will have new episodes every two weeks. Please join us again soon.